We are back with another Sideline Sportscast, episode number 25. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. In this week's episode, Derek Derek Carr drives the Raiders to a great start. We take a look at the remaining undefeated teams. Lamar Jackson finally beats Kansas City. And Mr. Rogers is back in the neighborhood. But first, Brian, let's find out what we are drinking tonight. Yeah, this evening we have a uh, local brewery down in uh, Tampa, so about an hour drive from us, Cigar City Brewing, and it's called the uh, Guayabera Citra Pale Ale. And uh looks like it's made with something called Citra Hops. We talked about this earlier, not really sure. Yeah, we have no idea it. what that is. Um, but it does look like it uh, incorporates some tangerine, wine, and berries. Uh, I'm not sure if that's something that they... Uh, just put in the in with the house when they're brewing the beer or what, but uh, let's let's open them up and see what we think. Oh, we're yeah. definitely definitely getting that IPA. Oh yeah, um, this is good. It's Cigar City, right? So if anybody uh, who's um, you know a Florida resident, you probably have heard of Cigar City. They're they're an up and coming, pretty big brewery out of Tampa, and you would probably agree with me, Logan. They're 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 uh. They're an IPA, you know, powerhouse over there in Tampa. Yep, so. and they nailed this one. Oh yeah, it's yeah, really this good. Is, this I mean, is I'm a, not a huge IPA drinker, but I could do this. Yeah, it's 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 very very hoppy, um, but it's also very smooth too. It's it's not a it's not like a heavy hop. Mm. Agreed. I'm not getting too much um, berry. I no. would say maybe a little bit more on the. Um, lime side with some tangerine. I'm getting a little bit of that poking through, um, but not 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 too much berry. And again, I, I'm not sure um, we could you know look it up. But I'm not sure exactly where the citra hop comes in. Um, Good stuff though. Yeah, excellent pick. I love this. I could uh, I could drink a lot of these. So. Yeah, so apparently, it's a flavoring aroma hop. Um, high alpha acid and uh, it's a good bitter flavor. Essentially, is the uh, too long to read definition of a citra hop, but I enjoy it. It's good. Yeah, good, excellent. Well, before we go into the first topic, um, as always, uh, for our loyal audience, go ahead and uh, check out the social media accounts at Sideline Casters on both Facebook and Twitter. Um, there's been some great posts flowing in over the first two weeks of the NFL season, and we have no anticipation that's going to slow down as we move into week three. And uh, with that being said, Logan, why don't you uh, bring us into the first topic of the evening? Of course. So last week you came clean that Dak is better than you initially thought. Well, this yes, week it's my yes. turn. I got a confession. For the past four years, I've kind of been wondering when the Raiders would kick Derek Carr to the curb, and I may have been a little wrong, a little hasty. That they replaced Carr in Vegas. Um, you know, they flew across the country on a short week and are undefeated after hanging 26 points on a Steelers defense that has been pretty tough this season already. Carr put together his second stellar performance as many weeks, finishing with a passing line of 28 of 37 for 382 yards, two touchdowns, and a 126.2 passer rating. He even shook off what appeared to be a worrisome injury to return and lead this re- the Raiders to their uh, road win. Year four of the uh, second John Gruden Raiders era is off to a great start at 2-0 with quality wins against the uh, Ravens, who just beat Kansas City, and the Steelers, who beat a hyped Bills team in Week 1. 
Uh, the start marks the, the first time the Raiders have been 2-0 and with wins against teams who previously made the playoffs in the previous season. Is it possible that it just took a couple years for Gruden Carr to click and turn Carr into a top-tier quarterback, Brian? Uh, you know, I, I think we need to just pump the brakes for a second because my issue with Derek uh, Carr... That was, that was a Carr reference, huh? Right, right. Yeah, you get that? No pun intended. Um, so, again, I, I think with Derek Carr, my issue with him over his career hasn't necessarily been that he doesn't have the talent to lead the Raiders to a winning season and make it to the playoffs. My issue with him has been consistency. And we've seen this before from the Raiders. They've had success in Oakland, um, now Las Vegas, of course, but they've seen stretches from Carr, you know, where they win four, five, six games in a row, and he looks like a Pro Bowl, you know, MVP type quarterback. The problem is, is we have not seen for an entire season Derek Carr have that consistent performance. I mean, if we go back and just look at his stat line, you know, he's thrown for close to or not or more than 4,000 yards in almost every season that he's been the full-time starter. He's had quarterback ratings of above 90 um, in six of his nine seasons in the NFL. He has the talent. The problem is, is he's never been able to string it along for 16, now 17 games. So... I think he's making his case that he still has the talent. The question is, is this the year that he's going to put it together for the entire season? Um, you know, maybe earlier on in his career, they had a better chance of winning that division until Patrick Mahomes showed up and started dominating. And maybe they can, you know, stick with the Chiefs this season. But I think until we see a complete season with Carr, really leading that team to consistent victories week in and week out. I still think he's in the hot seat, and these two wins aren't going to be enough to, to get him out of it. I do agree. He's still in the hot seat. He's not out of there yet. Uh, but right now, we do have to contribute a lot of Vegas' success to Carr, elevating, oh, for his, sure, for sure. elevating that performance to a level beyond what we've seen. And the interesting thing is it's kind of strange. He's a 31-year-old quarterback who's in the same system he's been in, and he, right. now he's seeing success. We don't typically see that kind of situation. I've been critical of Carr. I will give him credit. He's a better quarterback than I thought. Um, you know, at the beginning of the season, I had him at the bottom of the list. You know, it's kind of like that 25 to 30 range. Guys like, you know, Bridgewater, Goff, uh, Tyrod Taylor, guys who weren't going to win you a lot of games and the ceiling isn't super high. And, uh, you know, John Gruden had a, had a quote uh, that he's a really good quarterback that's starting to play great. I think that he's pretty fair in that assessment. That he's, a, he's a good quarterback, but he's playing great right now. He's kind of elevated that game. Uh, you know, he's up on that ladder with me now. He's on like that 13 to 16 range where, you know, Mayfield, Winston, Jimmy G, you know, guys who are good game managers but are going to be able to go out and win you games. Um, Part of the reason why he's been able to win games is they're not shooting themselves in the foot. The defense has been awful on that team. It has been, you know, part of the, the big reason that some of those teams have lost games they probably shouldn't have. But, you know, we've seen hot starts from the Raiders before. They were 2-0 last season and then went into Kansas City in Week 5 and beat them. 
But you know, Carr, he's he's got a good mix of talent this year. Uh, you know, with veterans like Waller and Jacobs and, and guys who are on their second year, guys like uh, Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, Hunter Renfro, those guys are starting to come to their own, which is kind of why we're seeing Carr, you know, put up eight, about 800 yards so far this season, the first two games. But, uh, you know, and the, and the interesting is, is that stat, that over 800 yards, is the most by any Raiders quarterback in franchise history in a two-game span. So, right. Um, <clears throat> You know, a lot. I know a lot of the focus has been on Carr uh, in that final, you know, game. He uh, last season, he put up 371 yards, two touchdowns, and a win against Denver. So this this kind of transformation isn't just limited to the first two games this year. It's it's going back to last year. So they're starting to build on some of that success that they've they've seen. Um, you know, this is the first time that a Raider has put up 350 yards and at least two touchdowns in three straight games. You know, going back to last year, of course. Um, it's time for the rest of the league to recognize that Carr and the Raiders offense is a potent offense. Uh, the defense is working better now, but I'm, I'm still waiting for the wheels to fall off. You know, I think you nailed it with consistency. Consistency is one of those things that just drives coaches insane. Is you you gotta have consistency to be effective, and, and part of that is going for a full season. Um, I, I think Carr is playing well but you know I, I'm also waiting for that dip um, he's he's going to have a good matchup this week uh, for that defense uh, versus the Dolphins he'll, he'll, he'll see some, some tough corners but uh, one of the things that really kind of changed was in game one the first three quarters of the ball I don't think he threw it effectively to anybody except for Waller and in that fourth quarter he started to see some success spreading the ball out and he's been able to maintain that through this week so we need to see him continue to spread the ball around and not just focus on just waller yeah no for sure i i i agree with that 100 percent. he was pinpointed on waller the first three quarters of that game which uh, we both watched because it wasn't a prime time slot and uh, i agree with you what you were saying with them you know the, the second half of last year they started to kind of ramp up their production, you know, maybe he's just one of those guys, you know, you think about the greatest quarterbacks of all time, you know, Brady, Manning, those guys make anybody who they're with great, you know, they don't have to have great talent around them. Maybe Derek Carr is just one of these guys that needed the right fit and the right guys around him to really thrive. You know, he's had pieces here and there over his career, you know, Crabtree at one point you mm-hmm. know, was considered a great receiver. He had Amari Cooper at one point. But it's always just been like one guy, right? They've only just had this like one guy who's supposed to be the playmaker on the offense that he has to go to. They finally have a, a, a good running back. I know he's a little banged up right now, but you know he'll be back. He has a Waller. He has other weapons on that offense. And maybe he was just waiting for that perfect culmination of players around him to get this production that we haven't seen honestly from him since really 2016 mm-hmm. when the Raiders when he went 12 and three as a starter that year. Um, now, of course. You know, Patrick Mahomes came into the league the next year, and things have been on a downward spiral for the Raiders since then. But uh, looking promising, I agree. But uh, you know, we'll hold off on any uh, job-saving season until we get a little farther in. Yeah, that seat's still pretty hot. Right. So, with that being said, the Raiders are one of the hot two and O teams to start the season. And after week two, there are six other undefeated teams being. Almost the entire NFC West, the Rams, the 49ers, and the Cardinals. 
uh, the reigning Super Bowl champions, Tampa Bay Bucks, the Carolina Panthers, and maybe the most surprising on the list, the Denver Broncos. I don't think either of us were shocked about the Rams and Bucks being undefeated, but the rest of the pack is a little bit more shocking. Which of these undefeated teams is the most shocking to you, and how long can they remain undefeated? Yeah, so they're, the NFC West is a strong division, so I don't think we're surprised to see San Francisco or the Cardinals being undefeated. We could also see them being 1-1. One one. Either way, I don't think it's a real stretch of the imagination. Um, so really, my two shocking teams, like we talked about, are, are Vegas uh, and Carolina. Um, Denver, they're still not a great team, in my opinion, but they've had the easiest two weeks any team could ever ask for with matchups against the Giants and then the Jags. Those are like the two worst teams in the league right now. So Denver's not much ahead of them, but I did favor Denver in both of those games. So I'm not shocked um, that they are 2-0 and at this point. So uh, my pick is the Panthers. Week one was a toss-up, whether they could beat the Jets. Both teams coming into the season were not very highly rated, um, you know, Zach Wilson came in with a good preseason, and, and that has just kind of fallen apart. But uh, there's no way anybody had them beating the Saints, especially after that week one performance they put up against Green Bay. Still don't have a lot of faith in Sam Darnold. He looked awful with the Jets over the last three years. But he's starting to change my mind. Uh, you know, It certainly helps that he has Christian McCaffrey to kind of dump the ball off to and make him look good, get those numbers up. Uh, so I'm going to say that they're the most shocking 2-0 team to me. Uh, that defense is really good as well, uh, really young. So I want to see what they can put together. And looking at their schedule, it doesn't look too daunting. You know, they're at Houston, who's another bad team with a rookie quarterback. Uh, they got Dallas Week 4, whose defense is exploitable. Then they host the Eagles. They got the struggling Vikings, the Giants. And they're back on the road against the Falcons, who are another bottom, you know, dweller team in Week Eight. So, if this team can get hot and get a little lucky, they could win all those games. But I think that they probably lose to the Cowboys in Week Four. Uh, but if they can get past that matchup, that this team could go from a bottom dweller team to like an eight and zero team, very realistically. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, the Panthers, you know, my quick take is the Panthers. And I think my main concern with them coming into the season was even with McCaffrey being there, which you know you're going to get a bunch of production with him. You know, he had the injury coming into the season. Didn't know if you're going to get 100% of what Christian McCaffrey was in the past. Mm -hmm. And then Sam Darnold, a lot of questions, right? Um Lots of questions about him in my book. He's been performing better than we've seen him perform with the Jets, right, at any point when he was in New York. So that's my, my quick take, and I'll just go to another team so we have a little bit more of a different opinion going on on this topic. The 49ers, to me, were a team that we didn't know what they were going to be. I know that they are two years removed from the Super Bowl. There's a lot of quarterback controversy going on up there. The defense has been great, but not as good as they were a few years ago. If they didn't have the Eagles and the Lions in their first two games of the season, I would not have picked them to go 2-0 to start right. the season. They, they beat Detroit by eight in the, in the opener, um, which I believe they were winning big at one point, and the Lions almost came back 
to steal that game from them. And they have a measly six-point victory against Philly, who we kind of knew were going to be bottom feeders, you know, in the league. Uh, so I, I picked them to win their first two games. I'm not surprised that they're 2-0. I'm, sh- I'm picking them, though, to be the first team on this list that's definitely losing. Now, we have the unfortunate scheduling conundrum where the Bucks and the Rams are playing each other this week, so obviously one of these teams are going down. Mm-hmm. Um, 49ers are playing on Sunday Night Football against the Packers. Somehow Vegas thinks that they're favored in that game Yeah. after what the Shock. Packers just did. I would be shocked if the Niners go 3-0. I think Aaron Rodgers, and we're going to get to this topic later, but I'm pretty confident, and I, we both picked, and we'll get into the picks later as well, but I'm, I'm looking at the picks. We both picked Green Bay mm-hmm. to go into San Francisco and win that game. So they're my team that I think has the highest chances of losing in week three to stop this undefeated streak just based on scheduling, of course. By the, the question is still, how good are the Niners, and are they going to keep up? You know, with the rest of that division, they have the Packers, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals in the next three weeks. So I think the answers about San Francisco and what they can do this year are going to be answered here in the next three weeks of the season. If they can steal a win in one of those three weeks, maybe they're legit. But if they go 0-3 over the next three weeks, I can't see them being very confident going through the rest of the season. Right. Yep, I completely agree. That's um spot on with that. So, yep. Oh, and, and you know, you. the uh, <laughs> it's funny we talk about the Green Bay Packers and in San Francisco being favored in that game. They're they're not even favored by just one or two. It's, it's three and a half. I mean, that, that's completely shocking to me. I guess the game is in San Fran, but still, that's mind blowing after what we saw. Right. But uh, we'll move on. You know, a week. Prior to the NFL, week two matchup, Stephen A. proclaimed that Lamar Jackson was not an elite quarterback in the NFL. Baltimore then proceeded to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, the AFC favorite, 36-35 to on Sunday Night Football. Lamar went 18 for 26 for 230 yards, a touchdown, but he did throw two interceptions. On the ground, he rushed for 107 yards on 16 carries for two more touchdowns. Bryant has Lamar silenced Stephen A. and the critics. With the big win over the defending AFC champs, and what do you make of Baltimore and Kansas City down the stretch this season? Yeah, so I mean, he definitely made a case that I don't think anybody was saying he's a bad quarterback. Now he's an elite running back. I'll give him that, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. he is so fast; it's crazy, and you know, it's hard not to draw comparisons to you know watching Michael Vick as I was growing up. I would probably say Michael Vick has a little bit more finesse when it came to passing the ball. Certainly later on in his career, he could really throw some dimes. You know, when he came back and was with the Eagles and made some runs runs with them. I still think Lamar has his critics. And the criticism is going to come from the same discourse, which is, if he has open field, he's one of the most electric, electrifying players in the league, right? 
he's not going to be caught. He super fast, super elusive, and that alone makes him a great quarterback because he's almost doing it single-handedly. My issues with Lamar have always been and continue to be when he makes mistakes, they're not good mistakes. And what I mean by that is we're not talking about some passes where you're trying to really zip it in in between three defenders and it gets tipped at the line and intercepted. We're talking about misreads. He's not seeing open receivers. There were a couple plays in that game, even though they won, where he had very easy seven to eight yard tight end Mark Andrews, you know, wide open in the middle of the field. And instead of just hitting that pass, you know, one, two, three throw, it's one, two, three pump fake, look around, start to scramble, get, you know, tackled or, you know, throw it out of bounds. To me, for him to be an elite quarterback in the league, those aren't, those are mistakes you can't make because the longer he continues this, and we've talked about this, mm-hmm. we, everybody knows what Baltimore's game plan is. They're going to run the ball. They're going to run the RPO for Lamar Jackson 90% of the time for him to either hand it off, run it himself, or do a you know play action, rollout, pass. That, that's 75 to 90% of their offense. And I think unless he makes some strides in the pure passing department, he's not going to be, and we're talking about a guy who won the MVP, but he's never going to be an elite passer. And I think he's limiting himself, his growth, what he can be at that position, because teams are going to catch on. And I think they have started to catch on over the last 12 to 16 games with Baltimore, that if you two-man spy Lamar Jackson, and limit him to 100 yards on the ground or less, you're probably winning that game. And I think a lot of people would argue that Kansas City probably should have won that game. There was a late fumble by Kansas City that really cemented that game. I think most people would say if that fumble didn't happen, Kansas City was going to drive down and kick a field goal to win. Um, So those are my issues with him. It's a good stride for him. It's a good victory. Just real quick, because I've been going on and on. I still think Kansas City is the more dominant team. I still see Kansas City winning more games than Baltimore this year. And I think the main point goes back to what I was just saying. The wear and tear on Lamar Jackson, it's going to catch up to him. You know, as much as he is elusive and fast and quick, those hits those hits uh, add up on any player. And usually you don't want it being your quarterback who's making those, taking those hits week in and week out. So, Yeah, that's always a concern is that his – you know, vulnerability due to his scrambling and running and just even just being hit awkwardly and falling funny and, and all that. But Lamar's the guy that it's not always going to be pretty in the passing game. He's going to throw some bad passes. But what do elite quarterbacks do in this league? They take their team and they backpack them and carry them to victories and, and utilize a special array of talents that very few teams and players can duplicate. And I think that kind of nails Lamar Jackson. Is Lamar Jackson ever going to be an elite passer? Probably not. He's definitely not that kind of guy. But is he an elite quarterback? I think he absolutely is, without a doubt. He's mentioned before that he wants to be a more pure pocket passer. But one of the things that he's never had is a true number one receiver. That team has always lacked support. 
And even that front line is not the most secure front line, which means that if you don't have those reliable guys, it, you have to wait and let things develop. And when you wait and let things develop, the guy breaks free, he's now got a scramble, and when you're that good of a scramble, scrambler, you have to go. You, you just you have to do it. You can't make a bad pass. You can't throw it back across the field. You're going to roll out, and you're going to tuck it, and you're going to run. You know, the best guy he had, you know, last season was probably, what, Marquise Brown? Uh, you know, the first round mm-hmm. pick from 2019. But but he, he even, at best, he's an average guy. He's talented, but he's small. So he kind of avoids contact. He struggles to get separated from defenders. You know, and besides that, he had Willie Sneed, who's a good blocker uh, for a you know, wide receiver. Uh, he's got Miles Boykins. Um, he had Des Bryant, who was old and, and not what he used to be. Uh, this year, he's got an old Sammy Watkins who hasn't had more than 700 receiving yards since 2015 when he had 1,000. You know, his most reliable receiver, like you said, is his tight end, you know, Mark Andrews. And if the Baltimore Ravens would have continued to be an elite team and one of those top teams win the division year in, year out, they're going to have to evolve that offense and stay one step ahead. We know w- what Lamar has, and teams have to plan for, to contain him. Uh, you know, Miami, we tried to do it last season where we said we're not going to let him run on us, and he passed it. Hollywood Brown, you know, had a, had a great game against us. And so he can do it in the air, um, you know, but... I think that they need to stay one step ahead and get that true number one threat. Take Buffalo, for example, your team. You know, they had Josh Allen. They needed a trustworthy receiver for him. They went out and got Stephon Diggs. Arizona, you know, they went out and got future Hall of Famer in his prime in DeAndre Hopkins. They need to do that. They need to get him somebody who's going to keep that defense honest and give him a good route running option to catch some passes. Um, You know, as far as for both these teams, Baltimore is going to have their ups and downs. The Browns are in that division and, and are going to be head for him, head with them. And it's going to come down to probably who wins those matchups between the two of them. You know, Kansas City is going to be win more games, like you said. They're going to be the division champions. You know, they're going to win their, maybe even the conference champions. So we could see these teams match up in the playoffs very likely, but it's going to depend on how many games Baltimore can win. Is it going to be in that second round, or are they going to be a wildcard team and possibly face Baltimore or uh, Kansas City in the first round? Yeah, I think just to end the topic, the thing that holds holds me back from saying he's in that elite group right now is the playoffs. Um, one win in three years. Um, you know, he got his first win last year, which was, a, of course, a big stepping stone for him. That was his biggest skepticism from – or. His skeptics, you know, that was the biggest thing they would pull out is no playoff wins. I'd like to see him have the same success that he does in these regular season matchups in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, unanimous MVP. Only two people have done it, Lamar Jackson and Tom Brady. So, I mean, he definitely has the talent. Um, but, you know, win a couple more playoff games, and I think he, he really, truly does cement himself in the elite group um, of quarterbacks in the NFL right now. But, um which I have to wait and see, but let's talk to talk about a quarterback that I think you and I would definitely both agree is in that elite category, and that's Mr. Aaron Rodgers. He's had a lot of coverage on this podcast over the last few months, and he returns again. 
one week after his abysmal start for the pack in week one, um, Aaron Rodgers and the pack appeared to be back in form on Monday Night Football against divisional rival the Detroit Lions. Although the first half saw the pack trailing 17 to 14 at halftime, it was clear that Rodgers was back in his 2020 form. Ultimately, the pack pulled away in the second half, keeping the Lions scoreless and taking the game 35 to 17. Rodgers went 22 27 for 255 yards and four touchdown passes. Logan, I'm sure you were hoping for about 45 extra yards there mm-hmm. from Rodgers. A uh, little fantasy jab, but uh, surely he looked to be at that MVP level during that game, certainly opposed to what we saw in week one. So, Logan, now that we have two weeks of film on Aaron Rodgers in the 2021 season, what Rodgers do you think we get for the remainder of this year? Yeah, first of all, I mean, Brian beat me. Uh, not only the Bills destroyed the Dolphins this week, but he beat me a fantasy by one point. Came down to Aaron Rodgers and uh, just came up a little bit short. Could have used uh, 45 more yards to uh, get the win. Or even just 16 like scrambling yards would have been okay. But came up short. So two, uh, two victories for you against me this week. As far as Aaron Rodgers, I, he's back. He's He's the guy who we knew he could be, the night the guy he should be. I think this game he went off quite a bit, knowing that this is like his revenge game. Is certainly you know like I said last week, if any team's gonna get you back on track, Detroit's where you want to be. He had an eighty-one and a half percent completion percentage this week. Ridiculous. I don't expect that every week. He had four touchdowns. Yeah, three, four touchdowns. That's on par for him. You know, he had a passer rating of 145.6, which is absolutely fantastic. Last year was his his MVP season. He had like a 70% completion percentage. I think we see him in that high 60 to 70%, 65%, 70% rest of the season. You know, he'll be throwing touchdowns every week. Um, his interceptions will be low. He'll be smart with the ball like he's been throughout his entire career. And I said last week, you know, he, he made a lot of mistakes with the football that he just normally doesn't make. And uh, I think that we'll see him protect the ball a lot more for the rest of the season. So, for, at least for my fantasy's sake, I hope we see numbers like we saw every week or every, this week, every week. But uh, he's back. That team is automatically back to being, you know, probably my favorite for the NFC. And uh, I don't see them having very many issues the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this last week and, uh, you know, whether he was, you know, going to play at that MVP caliber level or if he's looking, you know, for his next team, essentially, right? And I think what everybody was looking for from Rodgers to really know that he's in it to win it this year, regardless of what his status will be next year was a game like this divisional rival yes it's the lions but everybody's going into that game saying okay if this is the aaron Rodgers we know and love they're going to just dominate the game and destroy the lions and the first half i was like you know maybe detroit's a little bit better than everybody thought i think you're right they are right they definitely i mean they definitely played a great first half I, i will say that in green bay that's hard to do Green Bay took control of that game, and it really Aaron Rodgers took control of that game in the second half. Um, so much so that, you know, you, we talk about fantasy briefly. 
you were three points away from beating me at the start of the fourth quarter. That's how good he was in the third quarter. He just was seeing everybody, like you said, 80% completion percentage. He tore that mediocre, at best, Detroit defense up. Um, But still, that's what you want to see from the reigning MVP, to know that he really is back and ready to play. He's a competitive guy. Issues aside, I think we've talked about this plenty over the past two months, and we both agreed that he's a guy that's going to come in week in and week out, and he wants to win. You know, no front office feud is going to take that desire away from him to want to go into every game and win, right? And I think we we could see in week one he was visibly frustrated with what was happen- happening, you know, and I never got the vibe that he was going to come in and tank this year. And it's really in his best interest to be the best he can be, not only to maybe win the Super Bowl this year with the team that he has in Green Bay, which I think, again, you and I would agree is probably the place that he needs to be if he does want that best chance of winning a Super Bowl, surely mm-hmm. this year. Um, and if he does plan on going anywhere else, it doesn't really behoove him to have a bad year, right? If he wants a good trade or payday or whatever he wants to do, restructured contract with Green Bay, if he does decide to play out his days there, he needs to put up the numbers that people are expecting him to put up. And I think that's what we're going to get through the rest of the season. Vegas doesn't know what they're talking about. Green Bay is going to destroy San Francisco this coming week. And that's my prediction on that. Yep, I agree. With that being said, let's go into our picks. Brian, we did not do too hot this week. Um, It It was a crazy week. I mean, the spreads, it's those Vegas spreads. I don't know what yep. they're thinking, but. Yeah, we we saw some some losses against the spread this week. You went 7-8-1. Uh, I went to not-so-hot 5-10-1. So that means head-to-head, you're up uh, up two games this week, which gives you three overall. So I got to I gotta make some, some picks this week. Uh, I thought I did, but apparently we agreed a lot again. Um, Really, we'll go through kind of some of the games right now. Um, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, you and I split. Pittsburgh is uh, favored by three. I took Pittsburgh. You took Cincinnati. Kind of shocked that you actually went that way. Uh, you not kind of picked Cincinnati in the past, where uh, yeah. I traditionally have. Yeah, I guess when it comes down to Cincinnati-Pittsburgh this week, and I was actually talking to Zach, my stepbrother, about this earlier tonight. You know, I think Cincinnati's got a great offense. Uh, I think there's no doubt about that. The O-line, we've discussed, shaky. But you know, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, they're for real. I think they've proven that for through two weeks. You know, I think they're just waiting for their coming out party to have a big week on the offensive side of the ball. Joe Mixon, can't forget him. Pittsburgh didn't look as great as they did in week two like they did in week one against Buffalo, um, dropping that game uh, this past week. And reports are that Ben Big Ben is at 100%. So the Mason Rudolph watches on in Pittsburgh. Apparently he has a pec injury. Um, it still seems that Big Ben will start for Pittsburgh on Sunday. But if there's any question to that, that he's 100%, the thing that scares me about Pittsburgh is that offense. You know, right. they're solid Absolutely. on the defensive side of the ball. But if Big Ben's not 100%, I think they're going to have some trouble scoring some points. So I think it opens the door for Cincinnati to come in and uh, get the upset this week. Yeah, I I think you're fair in your assessment. But I 
I think that Cincinnati's defense equally is not very hot. And this gives <laughs> uh, Pittsburgh yeah. a chance to maybe yeah. get back into form. Um, even if ben, Ben's not hurt, you know, I want to see Najee Harris. I want to see him be more involved in that offense. I think that he kind of needs to be the factor that tempers that offense and, and balances out a little bit because uh, he is just super talented and they need to find a way to get him involved. So. Only his uh, third game pro game this week. So, I mean, I think right same thing that happened with Jonathan Taylor last year. It, it takes these rookie running backs a couple of years to uh, – or not a couple of years, a couple of games to, to kind of get used to the pace. You know, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not Alabama running over yep. little teams anymore. So, give him a few weeks. But he did seem to blossom a little bit in week two. And I agree with you. He needs to be a centerpiece of that offense week three. Yeah. And ultimately, I think my deciding factor was probably that they're at Pittsburgh this week. So, yeah, fair point. Fair point. So we'll we'll skip down a couple uh, to Buffalo and Washington. Both you know you picked Buffalo eight and a half points favorites, but I I think this is a game that has potential to be closer than eight and a half. Um, that offense with Tyler Heineke is just as good as it was with um, Fitzpatrick, and uh, that defense is a legit defense. They've been underperforming, but I think that uh, th- they're going to click, and I think this might be the game, get get pumped up for a big game. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I still think Buffalo wins, but the eight and a half is what scares me. Um, we both ended up picking Buffalo. Um, you know, they're coming off a big victory, as you mentioned, in Miami. I think they want to return home to the home fans and uh, kind of redeem themselves after the week one loss, home opener against Pittsburgh. Um, I, I do like Washington. I think they have a very good core, great defense, great defensive line. But um, I just feel like Josh Allen, who has not been as good as I was hoping he would be through two weeks, which hard for me to sit here and complain after a 35 nothing victory. But um, I think that he um, kind of steps up his game and they uh, the offense comes out and kind of goes back to the 2020 form and puts some points up against Washington at home. Yeah, his numbers are certainly down compared to last season. Not bad, but definitely down as of right now. Right. Uh, next matchup, we have the New York Jets at Denver. Denver, once again, easy matchup, but favored by 10.5. I, I know it's against the Jets, but 10.5, really? Yeah, I figure this is going to be one of the ones that we're going to split on because um, of that 10.5 number. So the two things for me is... The Jets are really bad. Like, I think they're probably at the bottom. They're they're right there with Jacksonville at this point as the bottom of the barrel of the league. I think at one point, Zach Wilson had, what, four completions and four interceptions? Four interceptions, yeah. Right. So they're going to Denver. It's in Denver. The altitude, altitude might get them a little bit. You know, I know BYU boy, Zach Wilson might be used to that, but um, – Denver has a, a, a decent defense, a decent secondary, um, and I think Zach Wilson sees his struggles continue on the road in Denver. I would agree that we're going to see him struggle in Denver. Right. But, uh, well, i got to pick a game on you somewhere. No, I need to pick up games right. on you. So, I, yeah. so I'm taking the 10.5, just because it's 10.5. Right. If this was 8.5, 7, it's yeah. no-brainer, especially being right. in Denver. But like I said earlier, I don't think Denver is as good as our record says. I think that no, they, I agree. they've got some 
some luck so far and uh you know certainly you know you mentioned kind of that they are in that same kind of level as um Jacksonville you know they beat Jacksonville by by 10 so i can see a 10 point victory 10 and a half kind of tips the scale for me so i'm going to take the jets you know i love those big spreads and i'm going to oh yeah probably continue that trend all I don't year. blame me don't blame me one bit so we'll head down to uh, the best game on the schedule this week by far, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the L.A. Rams. I am excited for this game. I don't know about you. Uh, I think it's a 4 o'clock game, which sucks because it's on the same time as the Dolphins game. Uh, but this is a game that you know is a real coin flip. Vegas has it at Tampa Bay, favored by one point. You took Tampa. I took the Rams. You want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll go. I mean, it really with the one point spread, right? We're just picking who we think wins right. this game. Um, and I just I have a very hard time picking against Tom Brady right now because t- that Tampa Bay offense is looking really good. Yeah, right. That I mean, so far they, is impressive. Right, and it, it's been almost seamless. Everything is setting up for the perfect. Week four matchup where Brady takes the passing yard record against New mm-hmm. England. He's 490-something yards away from the mm-hmm. record. I just I know it's in L.A. I know we're talking about Tampa going to the West Coast. I just, I'm betting on quarterbacks, and it's hard to get, bet against Tom Brady. He's going to be hyped for this game. You know, we're talking about two of the best teams in the NFC. I just think that offense, even though the Rams have a great defense, no doubt whatsoever, I think yeah. the Tampa Bay offense outplays the L.A. offense, and they win the game. I don't know if it's going to be a 38-35 game or a 14-10 to game. We don't know. Both defenses, both offenses can show up and be elite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is, you know, like, like you said, it's, it's a, at the Rams. That's a big factor for me. Certainly, I don't see the Bucks going undefeated this year. I think they're going to stumble and fall. And I think that this is the game it could happen. The Bucks won last year. The difference being this year, I didn't trust the Rams last year with Goff. I do trust them this year with Stafford. Yeah, yeah. That Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, you know, Henderson, those guys have all been playing really Higby, you know, super talented guys. Stafford knows how to use them so far. And then on the other side, you got Aaron Donald, you got Jalen Ramsey. That's tough defense, you know, and Tom Brady doesn't do well under pressure, um, at least historically. So I know that he's targeting that passing yards in New England. I don't think that's a secret. I think that he knows it. You know, the, the New England knows it. The Bucks know it. So they're going to try to pass this ball, and I think that's where the team might struggle. Um, but we'll see. This is a true coin flip game for me. Uh, this is a high-level playoff game that we get to see in Week 3. So just enjoy it. So. Uh, we we agree on the rest of the games of the week. You know, Green Bay and uh, both taking Dallas in the Monday night game. 
over right. Philadelphia. Um, certainly four points for Dallas isn't the most convincing uh, spread, but uh, I, I think that offense is going to bounce back after kind of a subpar week. So, Brian, why don't you take us into this week's Who You Got? Yeah, so for this week's Who You Got, you know, Julio Jones, tough week in week one. But he gets on the board with a spectacular toe-tap touchdown during their Week 2 matchup against the Seahawks, or so it seemed. Ryan Tannehill found Jones covered by linebacker Jordan Brooks and exploited the mismatch, hitting a leaping Jones at the uh, baseline. Jones came down with the ball, both feet tapping the turf before he landed out of bounds on what looked like his first Titans touchdown. However, upon official review, the catch uh, was overturned and the call and the call was overturned and declared that Jones' left heel Touch the boundary line, nullifying the touchdown. The Titans' official Twitter account took some subtle jabs at the replay crews this week, questioning the call. So, Logan, who do you got with the correct interpretation? The Titans' Twitter or the replay crew on the field? So I was watching this game live when it happened, and I'm I'm signed with the replay crew. There was questions about, oh, he dragged his toe, but, uh, you know, that heel came down, and I think that heel came out just just on the line if he wore one size smaller shoe touchdown but i think that that back cleat just clipped the line and uh it's maybe the closest call we'll see all year uh certainly great effort and he'll get his touchdown but uh it won't be this week yeah tough call um i didn't see a toe drag in my opinion it looked like a pretty solid entire foot hitting the ground um, before he went out of bounds, and I'm looking at a still photo. My interpretation is always, can you see any green in between that shoe and the line? And in this particular photo, I do not. So I think the uh, I agree with you. The replay crew got this one right. It's a game of inches, and in this in this particular instance, a game game of, of millimeters. And uh, I think they were just a couple millimeters off. So uh, I agree with the rep- replay crew on that one. All right, on this day in sports, in uh, 1974, the Pittsburgh Steelers and Denver Broncos Week 2 matchup ended in a 35-35 to tie. The Steelers and Broncos became the first team to play to a tie with the newly instituted overtime rule. With only with uh, only 17 games in the NFL season, no one wants to see ties. And in the uh, Manny Cast this week, we saw Russell Wilson, quarterback of the Seahawks, reveal how much he hates the current overtime rules, staying. That the thing, this thing drives me crazy. We go into overtime, we play 10 minutes. If no one scores, we all end in a tie and everyone just goes home. How horrible or terrible is that? Wilson followed up with his own idea for preventing ties in the NFL, suggesting that after the 10 minute overtime, there is a 135 or sorry, 53 yard field goal to decide the winner. If the kicker makes the field goal, his team wins. If he misses, the other team wins. Under Wilson's proposal, at the conclusion of overtime, there'd be a coin flip. The winning team decides who kicks, whether they're putting on the pressure on themselves or their opponent. Are you down for Russell's overtime proposal? I agree with him 100% that the overtime rules suck. I disagree with him 100% on the 53-yard kick idea. I think that is – nothing in the NFL should be decided on a one kick or one throw or, or one run decides all, in my opinion. Um, I'd like to see more of a college-style overtime. I think that's the fairest way. Um, or just play an entire quarter, another extra quarter of football, if you really want to be fair. But uh, 
agree with him on the tr- the ties being ridiculous. There shouldn't be ties in football. Um, I don't know, Logan. Do you want your kicker kicking a fifty-three yard field goal to decide it? No, and I don't want I don't want a coin flip deciding. You know, no, the game. No, that's that's ultimately what it is. It's a coin flip. The, the fifty-three yard kick. Most kickers are making that field kick. goal. Yeah, it's a fifty-fifty. About you know, most kickers have the distance. Yeah, so I think just, all know. the kickers in the league can make it, but that that percentage right. that goes down at that right. point pretty drastically. So, yeah, I, I don't want to decide on a coin flip. You know, the only thing worse than a tie is not kind of controlling your destiny at all. Right. College rules. College rules. I'm putting I'd it love in. Love to see it. Love to see it. Don't know why they don't do it. So. Well, our opinion only matters so much, and it matters to our listeners here. On the Sideline Sportscast, that has been episode number 25. We thank everyone for tuning in and listening. And until next week, this has been the Sideline Sportscast.